Our scripture reading for today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles if you have those with you. If not, no problem. You can follow along on the screens above me, or you can close your eyes and you can listen as I read from God's word this morning. Hear now the word of God from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. <laughs> Since then, we have such a hope, we act with great boldness, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there, since only Christ is to set it aside. Indeed, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. So we say thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as many of you already know, I am a big fan of coffee. And for me, it is about quality rather than about quantity. For me, enjoying a cup of coffee is an experience to be savored. And the correct, the right, the perfect coffee mug is part of that experience. And so I have one to share with you this morning. This is actually one of my mugs that is in my kitchen. My sister gave it to me for my birthday last year. And in case you can't read it, it says, be careful or you will end up in my sermon. So I suppose that I can use this as an illustration because she gave me the mug. She knows what it says. But also, my sister is a seminary student and a candidate for ministry. She's working toward ordination in the United Methodist Church. She preaches regularly as well. So she knows the story from both sides of the pulpit. Be careful or you will end up in my sermon. Now, I wonder if anyone ever said that to Moses You know, his name appears in the Bible 850 times, 850 times we read about Moses. And sometimes he's lifted up as this great spiritual leader, certainly in connection to the deliverance of the people from slavery in Egypt. He is lifted up as this great leader. And then other times we hear Moses lifted up as an example of what not to do. And that's what we see, at least to a certain degree this morning in this letter written by the Apostle Paul. We're going to talk a little bit more about why Paul might have made that choice later in the sermon. But for right now, let's say that he is making the case for freedom. Freedom is a major theme throughout the Bible. And we we see it especially in reference to that deliverance from slavery that the Israelites experience. And that becomes a way for us to talk about deliverance from sin and death as the people of God. 
Freedom is an important thing in the Bible. It's very important to us as well. I mean, it's Independence Day. We're celebrating our freedom. And it's a hotly debated topic in our country when we're trying to figure out how to navigate some really difficult things right now. The global health situation, it does seem to be getting better, but still we have some concerns, right? And also we have growing social unrest that we have to deal with too. And and often we start thinking about freedom in terms of our freedom versus the freedom of other people. We struggle to understand how everyone can experience freedom. We struggle to understand the relationship between our personal freedom, our personal rights, and the needs and freedom of humanity as a whole. And I would submit that this makes today a perfect time for us to consider what Paul has to say to the Corinthians. So while Paul is not really known for mincing words in general... He's certainly not mincing words with this community of faith in Corinth. Corinth was a capital in a Roman province in Greece, and Paul had lived there for at least a year and a half. He founded a community there. He basically served as their resident preacher, their pastor, their teacher. And at this point in the conversation, they were experiencing some conflict. And we know that this was not the first letter. It actually wasn't even the second letter, although we call it 2 Corinthians. This was an ongoing correspondence because of the conflict that they were experiencing. There were a couple of different reasons. Some people were accusing Paul of being inconsistent with them. In fact, Specifically, they were pointing to this claim that he did not visit them as often as he said they would. But also there were other teachers on the scene at this point, right? Other people who were speaking to the community about ways to be faithful. And so even Paul's credibility was being called into question at this point as well. And so he's writing to them in an effort to seek some reconciliation, to address division that seemed to be widening, to really focus on unity. That's the overarching theme of the book. And so what we find is this strong case for reconciliation based on this idea that our power is made perfect, our power is made stronger in recognizing our weaknesses. So Paul will work up to that statement later in the book, but he's planting the seed now with this notion of freedom and the idea that to really live in a free sort of way, we have to be honest about what binds us, what constrains us, what weighs us down. In other words, what we are afraid to lose. That's when we really hold on tight to our notion of freedom, isn't it? When we are afraid we're going to lose it. That's when we find ourselves extremely concerned about the freedom of others as well, somehow determining that more freedom for others might mean less for ourselves. And what Paul tells us is that is not the way that it works. As we continue to explore the themes in 2 Corinthians, we find Paul pushing back on any notion that freedom and personal independence are the same thing. He's pushing back on the notion that freedom and personal independence are the same thing. Remember, this is a letter about unity. It's a letter about forgiveness and reconciliation. And as such, Paul is rejecting any definition of freedom that would place personal choice, personal choice above the health of the community. It's really an interesting concept for us to consider in America in 2020 
But it's nothing new. It wasn't even new for the Corinthians. That's why Paul is pointing all the way back to Moses, right? all the way back to the beginning of our Bible, all the way back to a story that we find in Exodus. This episode that he is referencing with Moses and the veil and the Israelites is found in Exodus 34 when Moses is coming down from the mountain after experiencing God face to face. He's coming back down from the mountain with tablets that have the covenant on them. We call it the Ten Commandments, right? But this was the second time. This was the second time that Moses was coming down the mountain because in case you didn't know, the first time Moses got so angry because he saw the people worshiping a golden calf. So he throws the tablets to the ground, and they're destroyed. This in and of itself is a beautiful story of reconciliation as God agrees to reissue the covenant, right? And Moses reluctantly agrees to lead the people again. So already we're seeing the freedom that we have in trusting God and leaning into the reconciliation that God offers even when we really mess up. So Exodus 34 tells us that when Moses came down from that mountain, his face was radiating after being face-to-face with God. And the sight was so jarring to the people that they didn't want to come near him. So after that first encounter, Moses wore a veil until it was time to speak with God again. So that became a pattern. When he was speaking with God, he would unveil his face. He would receive the glory of God. He would go back to the people and share that message from God with his face shining. And then he would cover his face again when that message had been shared. It's an interesting choice for Paul to make to bring that up here as he's presenting this action as questionable, at least to a certain degree. In verse 13, Paul implies that Moses covered his face because he was afraid if the the glory faded, then people wouldn't take him seriously anymore. In other words, he was afraid to lose his power and any sense of freedom that he was connecting with that. And that choice on the part of Moses, Paul says, hardens the hearts of the people. And as their eyes are closed to see God's glory, they begin to close their minds to the possibility of God's work in their lives. But only Jesus can lift that veil. That's what Paul is saying. Only Jesus can make the glory of God visible. In other words, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord, where Jesus is in this context, there is freedom. So to really understand what Paul is talking about when he uses that word, it would be best to read the entire letter. But we can't really do that in this setting this morning. So we can look to an earlier explanation in the community where Paul emphasizes his own complete dependence. He emphasizes his own complete dependence on God and his vulnerability in this life. And what he's saying here is that it's in those moments when we recognize that we are dependent on God that we can gain some clarity, that we can be vulnerable enough in this wide open space to acknowledge who we are authentically in ourselves and recognize that we are loved and worthy of belonging just as we are in the presence of God. So that is where Paul begins to build his notion of strength and of freedom, knowing who we are in the presence of the one who created us. This is where we find freedom in being vulnerable in the presence of God and being able to trust that God is not going to take advantage of that. Well, Moses had been in the presence of God. 
In fact, he was going to and from the presence of God in an effort to convey to the people that they were also in the presence of God. They they could trust that. So why are his actions being presented by Paul as an example of what not to do? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I firmly believe that the Bible does not contradict itself. Now, it can seem that way, but I really think when we find something in the Bible that seems to contradict another place in the Bible, what that means is we need to dig a little bit deeper. Maybe we don't have the context. Maybe we don't have the background. Maybe we're taking something literally that is meant to point to a deeper truth in some sort of poetic way. And so when we read Paul's words, it's easy to look back at Exodus 34 and think this isn't matching up. So maybe we need a little more history here. In the time of Moses, people would have associated a glowing face with divinity to the point that Moses' shining face could have made the people, even his brother, think that he was becoming a god. And that would not fit with what they had already experienced from Moses and the God of Israel. It would have been confusing. And so in response to that, Moses begins to use that glowing face as a mechanism to teach the people when God is speaking and when Moses is speaking. When the veil is off, God is speaking through me. When the, when the veil is on, that's probably my own words, you know, and back and forth so that they could understand that God was with them and using Moses as a spokesperson to put the people at ease. Moses made a choice. He put his needs behind the needs of the community. And if we keep reading, we find evidence that Paul might be taking some creative license here with this story, and that's okay. Pastors do that, right? Preachers do that, and Paul was a good preacher. But we also see in the entire letter a clear effort on Paul's part to emphasize the freedom that people of God experience in the covenant with Jesus, the freedom that Jesus offers us because Jesus points to God in new and specific ways. That's what this veil talk is all about. This is the deeper truth that is being revealed. Paul is equating Moses, the law of Moses, the the first covenant with God, to a veil, to a partial experience of God, still good, still holy, but not the fullness of communion with God. Now, let me be clear. That is not a flaw on the part of the law. Okay? It's not a flaw on the part of the law. This is what happens when people tend to take laws and decide who's in and who's out, who has access to grace, who doesn't, who has full freedom, who doesn't. And before it seems like I'm being too hard on the Israelites, let's acknowledge that we all do this. This is a pattern of human behavior. It's a natural tendency for us to make these kinds of distinctions every time we treat freedom as a commodity. Instead of a state of being, the freedom that Paul proclaims in verse 17 is the result of face-to-face communion with God, which is exactly what Moses experiences on the mountain. And it's important for us to remember that Paul was a Jew, a devout one, one who respected the law. And when he began to follow Jesus, he didn't throw the law out. He did make it clear that following the law for the law's sake only gets a person so far in faith. So it's not really Moses' actions that Paul is calling into question. It's the human tendency to hide behind our own rules, 
and our regulations and our interpretation of those rules, even faithfully so, so that we end up hiding from ourselves the inner work that we need to do to live fully into God's grace. So that's what makes this difficult passage such a great one and so important for us to consider today because we're all searching for freedom. We're all trying to to name it, to identify it, to capture it, to keep it for ourselves. But the good news is freedom is not meant to be contained. It's actually meant to be shared because freedom grows as we live into it. And this is Paul's point, not just in this letter, but in all the letters that he writes and the letters that bear his name. The grace that we find in Jesus is what enables us to live free, to develop reconciliation within ourselves, and then and only then can we experience reconciliation with others. That's the goal of the letter, right? Unity, reconciliation with this community where there is division, and that's the hope for all children of God. Such freedom, Paul says, is possible anywhere we find Christ. And we can find Christ anywhere, right? The name of Jesus is actually used more than the name of Moses, right? Which means that we can find Jesus anywhere, even in the church kitchen. I believe I have an example here. Diane? (laughs) Oh, is it Grayson? 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 Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Grayson. All I need today is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus, This is in our church kitchen. Okay, so I've been here for a week, and I walk into the church kitchen. I see this, and it makes me laugh. First of all, because I know I am among kindred spirits on the staff, right? We value God's good creation that we call coffee beans. We value that. But also, it was a reminder to me that I often, and I'm speaking for myself here, but maybe you do this too, I often reverse the order. I say I need Jesus more than I need coffee, but if you see me first thing in the morning, you might disagree, right? We all do this. We have a tendency to lean on these other resources. We say we need Jesus first, but we lean on these other resources to try to make it through because that's what we know and it's what makes sense. And we don't really trust that Jesus is enough for us in our life. We're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to point to the grace of God that we find in Jesus. That's our mission here, right? We're going to talk more about that next week as we start a new sermon series. And I think we have another slide, Grayson, for that. We have a one, one more. There we go. Envisioning Morning Star. This is our new sermon series that begins next week. It's a four-week series. I invite you to be here. If you can't be here, worship online with our friends right now. Invite your friends. We're going to dive deeper into what that means for us as a community of faith for sure. But for now, it's worth our time on this Independence Day to think about the ways that we can move beyond defining our own sense of freedom based on our personal independence. It is in an honest recognition of our dependence on God that we can develop a healthy interdependence and community, trusting that we are caring for each other, living in peace and reconciliation, putting the needs of other people above our own without any fear that our own needs 
are not going to be met. It is in this state of being that we will recognize that the Spirit of the Lord is with us always. That was Paul's invitation to the people in Corinth. It's an invitation worth considering this morning for all of us. So I'm going to invite you to think about some questions with me as we close today. The first is, is it on God whom I truly depend? What am I afraid to lose in my relationship with others? And in what areas of my own life do I really need to experience freedom? Beloved, on what or whom do we truly rely? And what are we afraid to lose? And what do we need to lose for our own sense of peace of mind? It's in this kind of inner work that we can find greater freedom as we navigate the world, the real world, with all of its complexities and problems. And it's in these overwhelming and despairing moments of life that we can take a deep breath. And we can rest in the truth that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? Amen.